In the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. On this Trinity Sunday, we contemplate the oneness and threeness of God and the threeness and oneness of God. It's a mystery that frankly is beyond explanation. It's not the kind of thing that you would make up. People have tried to explain it in many different ways over the years. Some are kind of fun. It's like a three-leaf clover, one clover, three leaves. It's like water that comes in three forms. It can be ice, it can be liquid, it can be vapor. My personal favorite is it's like, it can be like Neapolitan ice cream. You got your chocolate, you got your vanilla, and you got your strawberry, yum. Uh, I'm from um, Scottish, Celtic, Presbyterian roots, and we are not really into symbolism in that, in that, uh, in that world. And yet, there is an image that we, that those of us from that sort of Presbyterian background, like to use. And it goes: it does an arc from Father over to Son, from Father over to Spirit, and then from Spirit and Spirit over to Son, so that you have a trifoil. Three, you know, one whole intertwined life. Um, again, it's not the kind of thing that you would make up. It's the kind of thing that you find in Scripture and you go, like, there's one God and yet there are three persons addressed as God and they're, they're like in communion eternally and they share that communion with us. But if we were going to make up stuff... We would do the kind of thing like George R.R. R. Martin does in his, in his Game of Thrones uh, novels, where I would say you have the island people who have their drowned God who judges with water. Or you might have the Lord of Light of the people of the continent of Esos who judges with light. And I'm sorry, with fire. And the thing is, you know, when you have these one monad, one, one of these... The, when you have a singular God who's a monad, that God tends to be either aloof or uncaring or just angry and judgy all the time. Or you might do like what they do in the southern kingdoms in uh, Game of Thrones, and you might have seven different gods who so that it, we, if you need the mother God, you go pray to her. If you need the warrior God, you go pray to him. And the problem then is they're all kind of the gods themselves are at odds with each other. And that's what happens in Greek and Roman mythology. You've got plurality, but it's, it's like one huge dysfunctional family. The amazing thing about what early Christians discerned and what the Old Testament come to its own in the New Testament is saying is that there is, there is a singular communion of love and that God doesn't create because he's lonely, because he needs somebody to beat up. He creates because he's always been in loving relationship and out of the fullness of that loving relationship, he wants to share. So, I, all I want to do this morning is offer three humble observations from John 3, Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, to see if they'll help you appreciate what it is that we have a God who is one and three. 
God so loved the world. There is a stability that we can have because of the Father's love. That'll be my first point. Second, I want to remind you us that the Son brings relationship with God to us. And then third, I want to talk about the way the Spirit makes that beautiful and alive in us. So stability from the Father, relationship from the Son, and beauty from the Holy Spirit. The Father's love bringing stability. You know what I miss most in televised sports? I miss the John 3.16 guy. You remember when stadiums were full and somehow this Afro-wigged dude with John 3.16 would find a way to be on camera all the time. What a great reminder of a powerful, profound truth. And Lord willing, that guy will be back and we won't just have cardboard cutouts and a few scattered fans um, around. But I miss that guy. I I miss the stability of that message of John 3.16. God so loved the world. That message is like the stability that Newton's laws uh, detected and and described as the way the, the universe as we normally perceive it works. It holds together. Or the steady baseline that runs through a beautiful uh, piece by Johann Sebastian Bach. God so loved the world is a profound statement that underneath everything else, if we hold on long enough, we'll see that the world's story and your story and my story is a story of God's love. His love will be vindicated at the end. He is not arbitrary, rash, impetuous. Those things are not what are, are not what is at the bottom of reality itself. Then second, the Son brings relationship to us. The the physicist Carlo Rovelli is a student of quantum gravity. And of course, in in the modern era, we've recognized that physical reality is more complicated than what Newton was able to perceive. From Einstein on, we've recognized that things are a little bit more fluid at the mass scale and at the tiny scale. And as physicists have studied the the tiniest of things, they've recognized that like electrons aren't like these planets that that are circulating around solid nuclei, but they're, they kind of do what at first seems like strange things. But Carlo Rovelli, as he is, as he has done the math and ex- examined what's happening with electrons that move around, they look like they're just random motions. But he says, no, I really think that what's happening is that electrons are responding to what's around them. He says, at, at, at its heart, in the tiniest of realities, as we're able to perceive them, there is relationship. Things are what they are in relationship to other things. Christians have known that for the longest time. Jesus shows that from eternity. Relationship has always been there. There has always been a father and a son, and each is distinctly who they are, but each is who they are only in relationship to the other. 
A father is father to a son, and a son is son to a father. And so Jesus can come among us and in the absolute security of knowing who he is, where he's come from, where he's going to, knowing that he is loved of the Father. He can be the savior of everybody he meets and just the friend that each of us needs. I, I will never tire of reminding us of the wonderful way that Jesus meets each person in John's gospel in precisely the terms that they need. Jesus comes as friend to Nicodemus, the teacher in our story today. And to the teacher, Jesus plums the depths of scripture's meaning. In the next chapter, he comes as friend to a Samaritan woman who's been looking for love in all the wrong places. And he teases that reality out of her and shows her where she can find true love. In the fifth chapter, the next chapter after that, he comes as friend to the lame man who in his sloth has not been able to get to healing waters that are no more than 20 feet away from him for 38 years. And Jesus asks him gently, do you want to be healed? And, and, and Jesus just blows right through his objections and heals him and begins to provide him with strength in his legs and strength in his heart to live. He goes and becomes friend to the blind man and gives him sight. To Thomas, he offers his hands and his side. To Mary Magdalene, he becomes friend to she who was, to her who had been host to seven demons and sends her on the first mission to tell the good news to the apostles. He becomes friend to Peter when he doesn't ask him, Peter, why did you fail me? But simply, Peter, do you love me? And I would submit to you that in whatever plight you may be in, in here, if it's an addiction, if it's an obsession, an, an infatuation, besetting sin, he offers his hand and the kindness of his visage to say, we will get through this. In your grief at a loss, he offers an arm around the shoulder and the promise that for every tear that you shed, I shed one as well. In your aging, he offers you his eternal youth. In your questions and fears about the future, he promises guidance. It's just that it's one day at a time, that's all we get. And there's another relationship to Jesus's relationality, his, his coming as friend to you. He makes you friend to everybody else. The relationship that he's always had with his father gives you and me the instinct to relate to everybody else around us. He gives us because we live in a relationally broken world, an abiding ache and a holy dissatisfaction with the brokenness that we see around us. Jesus gives you, he gives you and me what he calls for in the Beatitudes, 
a hunger for justice, and a thirst for righteousness. He gives you and me a bent for peacemaking and a drive to identify with the persecuted and the oppressed. He does not let us sit content and satisfied when things are wrong and people are hurting in the world. And it's why on Memorial Day, we give thanks for those who've given their lives for the freedom of other people. And it's why Christ's people consistently work so that disabled people can have the same life chances as everybody else. It's why Christians care about babies not dying in their mother's wombs. It's why Christians care that sisters receive equal honor in the church. It's why Christians care that black people no longer feel like there's a white knee on their neck. It's why Christians care that Asian, American, and Pacific Islanders live in freedom and are able to walk the streets without fear. It's why you and I pray and labor that God not suffer fools and liars to govern and influence because they hurt people and other people's hurt hurts us. The sun comes for you in your need and gives you and me a gravitational pull, the same gravitational pull that sent him among us. He gives us the same gravitational pull towards others in need. And third, the spirit brings the beauty. Between Newton and Ravelli came the 23-year-old physicist Werner Heisenberg. After trying to contemplate what Newton had discovered and Niels Bohr had discovered, Heisenberg went on a retreat and he tried to solve the puzzle of how it is that these electrons that, that didn't seem to act like just planets around, uh, or moons around the planet of a nucleus, how they, their, 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 their movement seemed to be so random. And he pondered the fact that, that they, they just seemed to like leap from one neutron to another and in between they didn't seem to exist anymore and he 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 wrote out pages of math and then realized he'd need matrices of of math and he said there is a certain randomness that is at the heart of it and yet he said beyond the surface I quote him beyond the surface of things I was beginning to see a strangely beautiful interior Nature, he felt, had generously opened up a dizzying reality. There is what Ravelli was later to say, well, this movement is, there's randomness, but it looks like it's relational. When, when Heisenberg recognized its randomness, he said, I don't know what it is, but that's a strange beauty here. And we're going like, Christians are going like, yeah, we know that because we got told a long time ago, the spirit blows. We don't know where it comes from. We don't know where it's going. We just know that it's there. 
We know that we were dead and now we're alive. And we marvel at the wonder of that. Yes, there is a strangely beautiful interior to reality because there has always been a strangely beautiful reality in the love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, always moving towards one another. And in ways that are, that are just meant to surprise us and dazzle us and amaze us, God shows us that love. And that love comes when the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within. The Spirit's beautifully, mysteriously making it real inside us. Somehow, magically jumping the gap between God out there and us down here, drawing us into God's life or implanting God's life within us or both. There's the mystery. There's the beauty. The suffusion of our being with a glow. C.S. Lewis is talking about a, a hidden a hand coming across from a, from a hidden country, grabbing us and working a deeper magic in us at this table. And indeed, the suffusion of the life of the Holy Spirit within us, bringing the full life of God into our being, is kind of like, you remember when we used to be able to take a big gulp of the wine at the Eucharist? And how the wine would just kind of feel like it's flooding our being. Well, one day we're going to do that again. I think, I hope. Yeah, we will. But that's what the Holy Spirit does. It takes the wonder of that eternal communion that has been brought near alongside us in Jesus and brings it all the way into us. And so my prayer for us for us today is that we will know that there is a bedrock beneath us of God's love. That that love has come in the person of Jesus and has invaded our being magically, wonderfully, mysteriously in the Holy Spirit. Oh, gracious God, with your co-eternal Son and Holy Spirit, Father, you are one God, one Lord in trinity of persons and in unity of being. And we celebrate the one and equal glory of you, O Father, and of Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.